0: Good morning. It's great to be back with you again this morning. Such an honor and a privilege. Though we weren't expecting to be back online again so quickly, if at all. And so uh, there's lots of things happening behind the scenes as we're pulling everything together. But you know, just like that first worship song said, God's grace is enough. It doesn't matter what we happen to have to face in life. God's grace will be enough. That's what God's answer was to Paul when he entreated him and said, Oh Lord, there's a thorn in my flesh. And we don't know whether it was a demon or whether it was some kind of physical illness, but whatever it was, God's answer was, my grace is enough for you. And we're so thankful, Lord, for your grace. You know, today is actually Valentine's Day, and it's a day that we usually recognize our close friends or uh, you know, our, our loved one. But today I really want to acknowledge and honor our first love. Jesus Christ. There are many voices that cry out for our attention in this world. There's family responsibilities, expectations, commitments, spouse, children, school, parents, siblings, extended family, families, uh, uh, friends, social networks. Uh, s- there's social media, business, customers, work, deadlines, bosses, Colleges, career advancement, money, loans, bills, debts, dreams, aspirations, houses, cars, travel, holidays, hobbies, and a whole lot more. You know, and they're only things of the natural life. And I made that list extensive on purpose because I want to just give a little bit of a highlight as to the many things that we have to divide our attention uh, to give to, to in so many areas and so many people in our lives. In all of the busyness of life, no matter when in history someone may have lived, the Bible clearly outlines for us that there's really only one of two ways in which we can live: either we're serving sin or we're serving God. That's how Paul frames it for us in the picture of uh, of Romans chapter six and chapter seven. He goes into detail as he then begins to paint that picture and shows us how that we become slaves of whatever we give ourselves to. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 16, Romans 6.16, it says, Don't you realize that you have become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. And a bit further down in verse 22 and verse 23, he goes on to say, But now you are free from the power of sin, and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul's wrestling with this whole concept of sin and death and and slavery to those things, and going over the page into chapter seven, verses twenty four and just the beginning of verse 25 he says oh what a miserable person i am who will free me from this life dominated by sin and death and then he says thank god the answer is jesus christ our lord jesus is the only one who can set us free from the sin that enslaves us that forces us into a bondage of servitude those that do not have faith in jesus christ and do not follow him one day we'll have to come before God and we'll be found guilty of their sin. For the wages, the payment of this enforced servitude and enslavement to sin is death. And that is spiritual and physical separation from God for all of eternity in the pit of hell. Now I know that's not a really popular thing to say and people don't like to hear it. But you know the fact is that Jesus actually made twice as many references to the pit, and to hell as what he made to heaven. It's something that we need to pay attention to. But the free gift of God to us is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what a free gift that it is. By faith in his sacrifice is the only way that we can come to know God and to be right with him. There is no other way except through Jesus Christ our Lord. My my title for the message today is actually Embracing that Lordship of Jesus Christ. Embracing the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The title Lord is used in the Old Testament written in Hebrew. applies to Jesus as Lord in the New Testament written in Greek. The Bible gives Jesus the same status and attributes as the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Hebrews, the Great I Am. That's what got the Jews so mad when they, they heard Jesus speaking. And you can read about it in John chapter 8. We won't go into it now. But where Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And they, they understood immediately that he was making himself out to be the same as God, to be equal with God. But it tells us, and we see in, Roman, uh, sorry, in Revelation chapter 17 and 14, and also in chapter 19 and verse 16, where Jesus is actually called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, having very briefly established that link of Lord, I want to come back to, to see what Paul is actually talking about in Romans chapter 6. What does being a slave to sin actually look like? Let's do a quick refresh and a, and a backtrack here and have a look at Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We're told that they're placed in an idyllic world where everything is perfect, everything's provided, everything is unspoiled. Then they face their first difficulty. They faced temptation. So enter the serpent of old speaking lies. And as Eve began to yield to that temptation and she began to succumb to the ideas that the enemy was planting, uh, she began to doubt, have doubt in God's word, in God and his word. And that doubt, as it began to creep in, ultimately she ends up making a decision. She takes an action based on that decision. And she chooses to obey the lie that God somehow is withholding something from her, somehow holding something back. She was deceived and she gave in to her fleshly desire for what God had forbidden her. Adam, on the other hand, is right there watching on, and the Scripture never tells us that he was disobedient. He also gives way to temptation and the tantalising idea that somehow he's about to get something really good. He takes the fruit that Eve offers, and as he gives into his flesh the appetite, he's not deceived, but he's actually willfully disobedient, but with the same result, Adam has chosen to obey sin rather than to obey God, and now they're both enslaved in that sin. What happens with sin is that God is removed from the place of authority and lordship over our lives. And a new sovereign gets crowned in our lives. We actually crown ourselves. It's us. We take his place. We remove God from his rightful place of ruling and reigning over our lives And instead, we put ourselves in that place. That's why the world keeps on telling us, you're number one. You deserve it. You know, you're first because you're worth it. You know, we keep hearing that kind of message all the time. And as we begin to serve our fleshly appetites and desires, that is our sinful nature, we become a slave to sin and death. Just as Paul tells us, that we become a slave to whatever we give ourselves to, whatever we choose to obey. Romans chapter eight and verse seven, Romans 8:7 says, "For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. Our sinful nature is just plain rebellious to God." As St. Augustine said, Our simple nature is not free not to sin. Or, in other words, our simple nature has no other choice but to sin. And that's why we need a new nature, a new heart, and we need to be born again. The scripture says that when Adam sinned, sin entered the world and then death spread to all people because everyone sinned. At present, we're very familiar with a highly contagious virus that's keeping us in our houses, and spreading very rapidly right throughout the world. Let me tell you that every single person in history, in the entire history of the world, except for one, Jesus Christ, has been, currently is, or will be, infected with the sin virus. And it's a virus that we should be very concerned about because all of us are infected with it, And in fact, we're all born with it. Repentance of our sin and faith in Jesus Christ is the only vaccine that defeats the sin virus. My second point is that the Lord needs access to all areas of our life. Jesus Christ is the risen and ascended Lord. He is the Lamb that was slain, the King of kings, And the Lord of Lords, who rules and reigns forever in majesty and in glory, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's the revelation of the ascended and glorified Jesus that the Apostle John gives to us and records for us in the book of Revelation. Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. Acts 2 36. Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost and he says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. The title Messiah in Hebrew, or the equivalent which is Christ in the Greek, means God's chosen and anointed king. And we looked earlier and we saw how the title of Lord applies to Jesus. So what then does this title Lord actually mean? Well, in general biblical usage, Lord is he to whom a person or thing belongs about which he has the power of deciding. Lord, Master, we belong to him, Jesus, because we were bought with a price and he has the power of deciding over our lives. It's also the honour, the title of honour expressed with respect and reverence to which servants greet their master. In the state, it's the sovereign, the king, the prince, the chief, the Roman emperor. Lord is the title given to God the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is the one that we confess as Lord. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. But what I want to stress to you today is saying that Jesus is Lord is not the same as embracing him as Lord. A confession is so much more than that. It's one thing to say that Jesus is Lord, and it's totally another thing to live with the reality of that in our lives on a daily basis. Did you know that in the New Testament, there are over 80 references and warnings to keeping the faith, to keeping obedience to God and to his word, to keeping the commands of Jesus, not to shipwreck our faith, to press on in endurance to the end, to reach that final prize, and that is the consummation of our salvation. Over 80 references. And while I don't want to teach any doctrine on that subject right now, what I will say is that with so many dozens of references and warnings, It's obviously a very, very important subject that we need to take note of. God has given us a free will so that we can choose how we want to live our life. He doesn't restrict us and he doesn't make up our minds for us. However, in his divine and unconditional love, God has made a way so that we are able to be right with him and we ultimately are able to be with him forever. God has made a way for us, but he's looking for us to respond to his invitation, to yield, to follow, and to obey in faith. Behaviour is a skill that can be taught. You know, We can learn how to respond, how to act, how to think in a righteous way, but that alone won't change our heart. Law and education is just not enough. The Lord changes us from the inside out, not the other way around as human beings try to do. He alone can change the heart of a person, but he's looking for our cooperation in this process so that the final result will be that we reach the full potential of all that God intends for us to reach, that we end up being all that he intends for us to be. Let's take, for example, the raising of children or or the the training of children. Let's leave the sin part out of the equation for a minute, and I can hear all the, the parents and the teachers right at the moment going, yeah, that sounds great, that's perfect. So we leave that aside for a moment. Now, in order to get the best result for children, we need them to buy in on what it is that we're aiming to teach them and to train them in. We want their cooperation, we want their willingness and the reason that we want that agreement and participation from them is so that the subject that we're imparting is grasped as fully as possible within their ability. The child or the children end up reaching their fullest potential in that area of their lives. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that... that uh, God will not perfect us and I'm not saying that our salvation is not completely in God's hands alone. He is fully able and faithful to complete the good work that he, he began in you until it is finished uh, on the day that Jesus retu- returns. Excuse me. But the scripture is clear. <coughs> Excuse me again. The scripture is clear in saying that our works will be tested by fire. That is, that the things that we choose to do are going to be tested by fire. Therefore, we have a choice to either work with God or to do our own thing, to serve God or to serve sin. We have put in place this. We have put in place this process of developing. Sorry, we have an input. in this process of being able to to develop a godly character. The God himself will one day perfect. However, he needs us to give access in all areas of our lives. As we embrace the lordship of Jesus Christ and we follow the leading of the Spirit with all of our heart, and that's what the scripture says, those who follow the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God. As we do that, we will grow up and we will be matured in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard Christ. And the promise is that one day we will see him because we will be like he is. My third point is, who are you choosing to serve and obey? Is it sin or is it the son? In ancient Rome, the, test, the classic test of a Christian's faith was to force him or her on pain of death to swear by the emperor and to offer incense to his images or to sacrifice to the god. Polycarp, for example, was a bishop or an elder of the church of Smyrna. Now, I'll spell that for you because it's difficult to pronounce. It's S-M-Y-R-N-A, Smyrna, I think. <laughs> and it's a Greek city that was situated on the Aegean coast and which lies today under the modern city of Ismar in Turkey. And in the mid-second century account of the martyrdom of Polycarp, officials begged Polycarp to say that Jesus is Lord and to offer incense to save his life, but he refused. Later in the arena, the governor came, uh, came and asked him to swear an oath by the luck of Caesar, and he refused. And although he was apparently eager to meet his death, Beast fighting had been declared closed for the day, and so he was burnt alive instead. Aren't you glad that we don't have beast fighting and burning at the stake any longer? The first Christians and disciples of Jesus Christ knew what it was to fully embrace his lordship. No compromise. Jesus is Lord. There is no other, and I serve no other. I want to say that as we get closer and closer to the return of Jesus, we're going to be faced with a greater and greater challenge and perhaps many challenges to our faith and to the lordship of Jesus in our lives. There's a cost to closely following the Lord, but there always has been a cost involved in that. But there's a greater price to pay in not acknowledging and embracing the King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords. We're constantly bombarded with what the world thinks on every subject as they press us to conform to their ways. And even though we don't seek to offend people in any way, we must speak the truth in love, obeying God first and never allowing the gospel to be stripped of its truth and of its power. As Christians, we have many choices about a great number of things in our lives, both spiritual and natural. But how often do we stop to ask ourselves, if what am I, is what I'm, I am doing or what I am saying biblical? Or am I living my life according to a biblical pattern? Or how often do we ask ourselves, what does God think about this or about that in my life? If Jesus is Lord of our lives, what happened to, if the Lord wills, I will do this or I will do that, if the Lord will? That's what we read about in James chapter 4 and verse 5. Remember, we are not our own. We were bought with a price. And Jesus purchased our freedom from sin and death, and he paid a very high price for it. There's an old axiom that says, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, then Jesus isn't Lord at all. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. God declares Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. By that very definition, there can be no other who is greater and no other that is higher. No one. And as a believer, you belong to him. He has the right of decision over your life. The question is, are you going to embrace that lordship or are you going to do your own thing? There's only two ways. And the further we go down this track, the more imperative it becomes that we make that clear decision and not try and straddle both paths until such time as we can no longer keep one foot on either side. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4-9 to nine, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 4 to 9. And Paul's actually speaking to the Corinthian church in his opening address. And as he does so, I think it speaks something to us as well. I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, God has enriched your church in every way with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly await for the return of Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong, in the, strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day that our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says and he has invited you into partnership with his son Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's fully embrace that partnership. That partnership that we've been invited into. Let's, let's sanctify Christ as Lord in our lives. That is, set him apart as being the Lord, the sovereign, the one who is over us in our hearts and in our life. I want to ask two questions this morning. If you've never actually confessed your sin and you've never actually begun to follow Jesus and given your life over to him, I want to ask, are you ready to do that today? Are you ready to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour of your life, to turn from your sin and to obey him? And if you are a believer today, I want to ask, are you truly embracing the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Are you embracing it in and over your life, in everything that you do? Saying that Jesus is Lord is not the same as personally embracing that truth, as living with Jesus first in your heart on a daily basis, because that's what we have to do. Church, we must embrace the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I just want to pray right now. And if, if you fit into either one of those two categories, I just want to pray with you just briefly. Because the Lord, his hand is open and his arm is not shortened. It doesn't matter where we are, or where we find ourselves, no matter how much we might feel that we're under the weight of sin or guilt or circumstances or whatever is happening and going on in our life, Jesus is still Lord. Jesus is above and beyond and over all things because God has said that that's how it is and that's how it will be. Father, we just want to come before you and Lord, I I really bring right to your feet right now those, Lord God, that maybe uh, they have never come and confessed you, Lord Jesus. They've never come and actually said, "I, I confess my sin, Lord. I know that I have have done wrong against you, I want to turn from that. Lord, please forgive me. Please give me a new heart and a new start in life. Lord, if there is anybody in that place this morning, I pray, Lord, that you will pour out of your grace, pour out of your mercy, and pour out of your power upon their lives right now. Lord, that they may be given the gift of repentance so that they can indeed embrace you as Lord over their life. And Lord Jesus, we want to pray, O oh Lord, as believers this morning, as those who belong to you, as those who were purchased with a price, that was your blood and an incredible sacrifice that you made on our behalf so that our, our poverty, O oh Lord God, could be taken and substituted with your richness, richness O oh Lord God, with all of your riches, with all that you have gained, Almighty God. Oh, we are so thankful, Lord that we find ourselves as servants but also sons and daughters of the living God. And so, Lord, we just want to say, help us in the days that lie ahead. Help us even right now, Lord, to put you in your rightful place as King, as Lord, as Saviour, as the one who is above and over all in our lives. Lord, be glorified through us, we pray, in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus. May your kingdom advance. And oh Lord God, may many souls be saved. Lord, to your glory and to your honour in Jesus' mighty name. Church, I want you to go forward in the power of the Lord this week and know that no matter what circumstances you're in or you're facing, right now, whether you're seeing this stream right now, whether you see it later in the week, whether you see it in in time to come, somewhere in the future, Jesus is Lord. Let's embrace that Lordship today.